start with a question. What if the purpose of God for your life, for my life, for our life, was far more than just getting you free from sin? What if the Holy Spirit within your life and my life had the capacity to reproduce in us a Christ-likeness that is so profound and so powerful that it can impact the world in which God has placed us? For many of us, we have allowed Christianity to be something of coming out of Egypt. But actually the call upon our lives and indeed the mandate upon the church is that we would possess the land. That God would take us into the fullness of his promises. And because we've lost sight of that, I think sometimes we've created believers that are strong enough to survive culture, but not bold enough to change it. And for us to step into all that God has for us, the invitation, if you like, that the Spirit is offering to us, we need to see this truth, that God wants to take captive this world with the power of His Spirit and the glory of His Son. Everything, everywhere submitted to the supremacy of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 5 verses 14 to 16, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be broken. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, and church, this is our invitation, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So the goal of God is not that we gather in holy huddles and sing our songs and hear our preaching and try and grapple with the issues of purity. It's that we would turn up in every facet of society as carriers of that light, commissioned by His Spirit and filled with His power to change the world around us. You see, we have relentlessly focused all of our attention on the salvation of individuals and forgotten the mandate of the Spirit to bring transformation to every situation. God is interested in altering and moving in all kinds of institutions. Dare I even say his heart would be to flood cities, towns, villages, and workplaces with the power of his Holy Spirit. We have a great belief that God can change an individual, but we have less confidence that he can change a community. But I want to highlight to you that if God can change an individual, he can change a community. Because a community is made up of individuals. And in many ways, you and I as people who have been transformed and are being transformed by the power of the Spirit in our lives are walking evidence that God wants to invade our world and transform everything in it. We have settled for spiritual formation and failed to take our mandate and our invitation to world transformation. God's desire is to see His kingdom come in every part of human experience. And I want to suggest to you that the church of the end times will be a church where people believe that, are confident in that, and are commissioned by the Spirit to see that come to pass. You see, if our dream is less than His, then we're not dreaming the dreams of God. You know, it says that the Lord has plans to prosper and to bless us, to give us a hope and a future. Those dreams are us catching His heart for communities, for contexts, for environments, for institutions where we can see his kingdom come and his will be done. We have simply allowed our goal for discipleship to be so much less than he intended it to. If you have a Bible with you, would you turn quickly with me please to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be reading from chapter 28 together. This is Jesus talking to his disciples and giving them their commission 
to step into the destiny that he has now made available to them through his death and his resurrection. It says in verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then he came to them and said, and listen to this phrase, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let's pause for a moment. What Jesus is saying is there is now a new world order where once the enemy ruled and reigned and had territory and authority over things, I have won that back. All authority under heaven and earth has now been given to me. Now that may not seem like a big deal to you or a big deal to me, but actually it's fundamental to our understanding of what it is that Jesus has accomplished for us here on the earth. All authority means all authority. It doesn't mean some authority. It doesn't mean occasional authority. It means all authority. All authority Jesus has won over all that is seen and all that is unseen. Somebody say amen for me. So we're starting from a posture or a place we can truly understand that Jesus has won a victory over all things pertaining to spiritual matters. He is simply the one who has transformed our possibilities to live in the victory that he has accomplished on our behalf. All authority has been given to him. That's authority over demons, authority over sickness, authority over brokenness, authority over shame, authority over natural elements. One of the wonderful things I think we forget sometimes in Jesus' ministry is he had the power to calm the storms. Is there anybody in the room who has started to venture into walking on water and calming storms in the last week or two? You see, we're still trying to live with the reality of the power that we have over sin, but actually Jesus has power over all things. Now, if the church doesn't have that confidence, it will not live in the mandate and it will not live in the fullness of the ministry that Jesus is calling us to. So all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And the mandate, therefore, is the commissioning of us as a result of that reality. He says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I will be with you always to the ends of the earth. So all authority has been given to us and it's been given to us because Jesus has won it for us and he's given the church a commissioning to go and to release that authority into every facet of society. Now we have allowed discipleship to be us being free from sin. I want you to dream some of the dreams of God for a moment or two. What about turning up in politics? And all authority under heaven and earth released through the people of God begins to make a difference to cultures and contexts and society. Amen? Amen. What about turning up in the arts? You know, one of the most distorted environments on the planet is the arts. As Christians, we have disengaged with creativity. We find it a little bit difficult to understand, perhaps, and we've orientated ourselves around some some thinking that's not helpful to that. But actually, what about God raising up filmmakers who speak truth in the narrative and the context of film that have the power to transform the world. Do you know one of the, the greatest struggles we're having in, in, in society at the moment is that the arts are shaping people's thinking about what is or what isn't true. And we sat by while the books Harry Potter and all of those things were written and, and utilized. I've even known Christians who've even given them to their children to, to read. We sat by, but actually what we failed to do rather than complain about that was rise up and get Christian writers to write stories that re are related to the scriptures where God would use and utilize his people to bring life to children, to bring hope to children. The church sat for a long time complaining about what somebody else was doing and failed to recognize that we have been given the mandate by God to take his authority and to release it into education, to release it into politics, to release it into the arts. And so it's no longer permissible for us to think of discipleship as people being free from sin. We must start to dream the dreams of God where God is commissioning his church to go into all the world, into all the world, and to see that world 
invigorated and changed and transformed by the power of God. He says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Now, I don't know if you have ever read this and thought, what does that mean? I think the word that's written here is ethnosia, which means all people groups, all kinds of people. If you look around you, we're doing okay with that. God is starting to move a little bit in that. Amen. I'm really grateful that we are the kind of church where every tribe, nation, and tongue is represented. And every tribe, nation, and tongue is, is invited to be part of the community. When we get to heaven, it's going to be even more more than we currently have. But actually, we're working towards that. We don't just want to be the kind of church that just has one people group. Like, for example, I don't know if we've got any posh people in tonight. You're very welcome. No, I said posh. If you're posh, you're very welcome. It's good to have you with us. But you know, we also have a heart for the poor. Amen? You know, you may be here tonight and you've got degrees as long as your arm. You've got everything. But there may be some people sitting next to you who perhaps are struggling to learn how to read and write. You're all welcome. Every tribe, nation, people, all kinds of people from all walks of life make up the family of God. And that's what makes us a most glorious representation of heaven on earth. Whenever we start to celebrate that and not try to make everybody sound the same, look the same and behave the same. Amen? Amen. So we've had authority given to us by Jesus to go into the world, not to come into church. You see, you will never fully understand the authority that's been given to you by Jesus unless you go into the world. It's when you turn up in the context that look a little different than this that you start to see the power of God at work in and through your life. Let me give you an example. I have this dream that you would become the pastor of your workplace. That such would be the compassion that God would place in your heart that wherever you work, however difficult it is, you would become a representation of the good shepherd of God. That instead of just being preoccupied with self-promotion, you will be given over to God devotion. Treasure hunting in those environments to see where the kingdom is already at work. And caring for his people. What about this? If you're going to be prophetic, it's great to be prophetic in the church, but how about being prophetic in the workplace? How about bringing a word to somebody in the workplace? A word of wisdom or revelation? Some clarity, some, some things that are hidden in their lives become revealed as the church turns up in the authority of Jesus Christ. The commissioning is to go into all the world. Therefore, go make disciples. So we're not in the business of getting people to make a decision. That's the starting point. We're in the business of bringing people into the family. Now, what is a disciple? Well, for me, there are four key essences to what a disciple is. Let's just look at them quickly if we can. But before we go there, a disciple is an apprentice. It is somebody who is an apprentice to the master. And in this case, the master is Jesus. So the good news about that is that we may not feel very good at this. You may not be even that great at trying to make disciples of people. But that's okay because you're an apprentice. You're learning how to do this. You're learning how the master does this, and you're working with the master to that end. Okay, so what is a disciple? Well, if we think about a disciple, we need to understand that anybody who is an apprentice to Jesus must have four key essences to the way they live their lives. Jesus was the word incarnate. So we have to be people who have an understanding, a substantial and glorious love for the Word of God. Not just people who spout scriptures. You know, I've met Christians and they do that. They're like scriptural machine guns. Leviticus 6, 4, da, 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 da. you know, and, and often they misunderstand how that works for people. You know, it's like instead of taking two pills, take two scriptures a day, you're going to be okay for the next week. You know, now it won't hurt you to do it that way, but actually the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. Now, for us to have an authentic authority when we speak the word, we must live the word. The word must be made flesh in us. It's got to have done something in us. Just spouting abstract truth to people without any real authenticity to that will make you sound hollow and empty. So we need to be people of the word. The word needs to abide in us. God's word is not advice to us, it's direction for us. 
It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Actually, without it, we wouldn't know what to do, how to do it, where to go, how to say it. God's Word is not some optional extra. It's not for those who like learning and the rest of us who are a little struggling with that. God's Word is God's presence and the person of Jesus actually absorbed into the reality of my life. So I want to be given over to God's Word. Now, I'm going to say some things tonight that maybe get me into trouble. But you know, if you just read scriptures every day, have you noticed that by Wednesday you've forgotten what you read on Monday? Has anybody noticed that? What, what, if, what about this for a trial run? What if we do that, but we add to that that we actually sit in a particular passage of scripture and dialogue with the Holy Spirit all day long about the Word of God? David did not say, I read your Word. Okay? He said, I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In other words, it's, instead of it being external, it's now internal for me. And what's internal defines how I live. It defines how I think. It defines what I connect with. You know, when I first went to Bible college, I don't know if I've told you this. I probably have. I repeat myself. My wife tells me all the time, all the time, all the time. But, but I, I'm sitting in this meeting. Two guys asked me to come and pray with them. And I'm sitting in this meeting room, one of the classrooms. It was late at night. And we're praying and praying and praying. And then I hear this voice, this lovely Irish voice. And uh, he begins to, you know, quote the Psalms. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. For he is like a tree planted by a stream of light. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff. The... So, and I'm thinking, oh, isn't that lovely? I thought he was reading. Then he goes on to Psalm 2 and Psalm 3 and Psalm 4. After about nine Psalms, I open an eye. And I'm absolutely astounded that this 18-year-old Irish boy from Dublin has memorized the Psalms. Now, I don't know how you do with that, but it takes me, this, in this stage of my life, I'm just grateful to remember my name. Okay, so he'd memorized the Psalms. And as I was listening to it, my heart, my heart just grew in admiration of a young man who from the ages of about four or five did not just want to read the word. That became something to him that was far more important and that was to allow the word to be hidden in his heart. And just about everything that came out of his life came from the word of God. You see, we're not just people who know the word as in intellectually we have read it or even where the address is. We're meant to knock the door and go in. Every time you read the Word of God, it's an invitation to peer into the nature and the character of the one who has called you to life. When I'm reading the Word, I pray, Holy Spirit, help me understand. I want to just grow in the knowledge of Jesus. I want to grow in my capacity to love Him. I want my, my boundaries extended to the north and to the south. The territory inside of me is small, but the kingdom is great. So I want us to learn how to live in the Word of God. Would you say that would be a hallmark of a disciple? What about this? What about the wonders of God? There are mysteries to God. Have you noticed that? Jesus came and he said things like this. You have heard it said, but I now say. In other words, you have a paradigm where you see God in a particular way, but I'm telling you he looks like this. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, God has turned up through me to witness to you of his truest reality. Now, why is that important? Because if we treat God as anything other than a mystery, we are always going to limit God. Do you know it says, I think in the Psalms, that the, the heavens that we see in the sky is the glorious stars, the spectrum of the universes are but the fringes of his garments. And here's the problem with the church. We have taken mystery and we've made it something of a mediocrity. If I am not in awe of who God is, that I'm not living in the place I need to be as far as worship and connection with the one who is life itself. So we have the word of God and we have the wonders of God. Now, if you look around you, you're probably sitting next to a wonder of God. You're wondering how the heck they got here and so are they. That's the truth, isn't it, sometimes? And if you're really honest, you're slightly in awe of the wonder of God in you, aren't you? How did this happen to me? You know, how did I get caught up in the glorious story of God? God's wonders are everywhere. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live 
with a vocabulary that calls him awesome if I don't have some all. I don't want to say those things if they're not true about my relationship with God. So we have the word and we have the wonders of God. Wonders can also include miracles. It's quite wonderful when God performs a miracle, don't you think? I mean, have you ever prayed for anybody who's been sick and they've got healed and you're the most surprised person in that conversation? <laughs> I remember years ago, a young man in our church, he, he was a, a, a professional cricketer and, you know, People like that, they don't cross my path every day. And uh, he, he came and he said, you know, I went to visit him. He was in hospital. He'd had a knee operation. He'd torn something in his knee. And he said to me in, in his hospital bed, you know, I, I, my, my career is over. I have so many dreams about being a professional cricketer. For me, those two things, they seem like an oxymoron. Dreams about being a professional cricketer. But that's a whole other story, okay? So, so I said to him, well, you know, perhaps at the end of the conversation, maybe we'll pray together. Should we pray together? And uh, I said, do you mind if I put my hand on your knee? Stuart, his name was. He said, no, no, that's fine. And I put my hand on his knee and I prayed my best prayer. Do you know how you do? You kind of squint your eyes and you, you know, you grit your teeth and you, oh God. You, you do your best prayer. And you know, I walked away from the hospital and got into my car and nothing happened really as far as I was aware. And then about two or three weeks later, he turns up back at the church and he's standing upright. And I thought, that's strange. Maybe, you know, he's had some physiotherapy and they're able to help him. And he comes up to me at the end of the service and he said, you know when you prayed for me three weeks ago? And I went, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it kind of was my best attempt. I must be, be honest with you. And, and, you know, all I could remember thinking of when I prayed for him is I should have fasted. If I'd known he was going to ask me to pray, I would have fasted. I would have prayed. I, would, I just felt very unprepared, you know. And, um, and so he said, you know what? I've been back to the hospital and they can't find the tear. The tear is gone. God has healed my knee. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I'd love to tell you that I cried and worshipped, but I said, Stop lying to me, Stuart. Why are you lying to me, man? That's not good. He said, no, I'm, I was so shocked. I was surprised that God would use my ordinary life to do something extraordinary. You see, church, if we're not living with that consistent sense of the wonder of God, then our worship and our hearts will become dull. We are called to live in wonder because Jesus was wonderful. He was full and is full of wonder. God is a mystery. You may never figure out everything about him. Welcome to the real world. All of heaven are still discovering the goodness of God. We're going to spend the rest of eternity having him unveil his glory to us. Level after level, realm after realm. How cool is that? You're never going to be bored in heaven. You know, in heaven they cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and worthy to be praised. And like they haven't seen it, they go, oh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Oh, holy. Jesus is not bored with their song. Because there are depths and revelations and, and, and facets to the God that we worship that we need to be in awe of. It's an awesome thing. It's full of awe what's happening in you. If you're a Christian here tonight, what's going on in you is phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. Is there anybody here tonight who's a Christian? This salvation we speak of, it is a mystery that angels long to look into. And you're vaguely bored. So we have the word and we have the wonders. We have the ways of God. And the ways of God, I don't know if you've ever met people who are in the way. <laughs> But there are people who are all about social justice, all about compassion, all about mercy, all about the kingdom turning up in practical forms. And here's what I've noticed over the years. Those people do not like the word people. And the word people are highly suspicious of these people. But you know, in the book of Acts where the disciples decide that they can no longer wait on tables, here's what the choose for the food bank. Men full of wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You see, what we do, and we do it without thinking it, is we decompartmentalize the nature of God. So there are people who are social justice people, there are people who are word people, there are people who are, do you know it's all the same God? It's all the same God. And what we're doing, if we're not careful, is we're making our preference a prejudice. We're saying you have to think and act and see God the way I see him, or you're not going to live in fullness. Jesus is the word, the living word. Amen. He is a God of wonder. Amen. There are mysteries yet for us to fathom. And he is a God whose ways are not our ways. His ways are much higher than our ways. And you know and I know that trying to work out God's ways can take us a lifetime. In fact, I know some people who know his word, but they don't know his ways. And the final thing is the works of God. Do you know there are miracles, signs and wonders and manifestations of his kingdom that actually the church, many of us, think that's for the visiting speaker. Do you know that these are optional extras to becoming a disciple? But if you truly want to raise somebody who's a practitioner and indeed an apprentice to Jesus, they need to have those four aspects in their life. They need to be people of the word. Amen. People of wonder. Amen. People of the ways of God and people who are demonstrating the works of God. You see, when I turn up in whatever environment I'm in, I'm carrying an authority commissioned and given to me by Jesus to make things different. It's not okay for me to not pray for the sick because the power inside of me needs release. And he's given me a commission to go and do that. So why is it, church, that we have made discipleship either one or two, but not all of those facets of what it means to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ? We will permit people to sit in churches who've never prayed for the sick. We think endless Bible studies will change the world. What we need to do is have some coherent thinking. If we are indeed apprentices to Jesus, we must be people of the word. Amen. We must be people of the wonder. Amen. Come on, I'm not going home until you work with me. Okay, and I've been chucked out of better places than this, so we'll be a while. We want to be people of the ways of God. What good is it if we're prophesying and demonstrating and, and declaring a thing if we're not turning up in culture and caring for people? We're missing something. We're missing something of the nature of who God is and what it truly is for us to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus. And it's not okay for people to be brilliant at one aspect of this and not be exposed to the other things that reflect the truest nature of God. Now, I'm just highlighting four. We could go on for a long time about the nature of character of God formed in our lives and given over to his purpose to see the world come. Now, it says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Look at the word baptizing in that scripture. I think it's the word baptizer, which means to submerge, to fully submerge them. Okay, so discipleship is me turning up, okay, in my ordinary self with an authority from heaven, yeah, and a mandate and a commission to step beyond what is comfortable into the unknown, amen? That's where we all fall short because we like to know everything. Remember mystery and wonder? It's part of the journey, okay? And we're sent out ones, not brought in ones. Okay, now the church is obsessed with gathering. You know, we can sing all of our songs and speak all of our words in an environment like this and go back to our workplace and say nothing. Go back into society and disengage from culture. We, we can pray for the nations but never go to the nations. We, we can talk about the love of God changing lives and never... Take it across the threshold of this door into our families. It's time to join those two things together.
Because we are given through Christ an authority and a mandate and a ministry to baptize society. That's the commission. And notice what the baptism is. It says baptize them in the name of the Father. When we hear that phrase, it's in the reality of God. So how about this for a dream for your life? That you turn up in your workplace and instead of trying to get to the top of the ladder, which is a good thing to do and keep going with it, your commission is to turn up and saturate that place with the reality of the Father. The Father's love, the Father's care, the Father's compassion, the Father's power. To turn up as a son or a daughter of the one who has called you and marinate and saturate that environment with the truth of the Father. Now, listen to what I'm saying. I'm not saying go in and preach about the Father heart of God. What I'm saying is be God's secret weapon of mass destruction in every environment you find yourself in and allow what you have been given out of the revelation of God to those people as a starting point. When we were in Bristol, we started praying for our politicians. You know, I don't really like politicians. I must be honest, if you're a politician, it's nothing against you. I don't understand half of what's going on. And the other half, I don't like. So I tend to disengage. It seems more and more now, it's not about, you know, your manifesto. It's about how, you know, what dirt you can find on somebody else and you can tear them apart. For me, that doesn't feel like it's, I mean, that sounds a little like Caesar and the Christians and the lions. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, I can stay at home and have a fight. I don't need to go out to do it. You know what I'm saying? So, so I don't like to engage with that. But, you know, we started to believe that if we truly wanted to take this seriously, to make disciples of all people, to baptize our city in the fullness of the Father's love, then we needed to pray for those who were in positions of power. And we started praying for those in politics. You know, within eight months of that, we had a building that we couldn't lease. Some of the local politicians came and they asked us if they could rent a room. There was one of those ladies, I think her name was Prina. She's a Labour Party candidate. Uh, she was overseeing the area where the church was and we started praying for her. She got cancer. We prayed for her and she got healed. Hallelujah. Yeah. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood, in the blood of the Lamb. Now, would I have ever thought that I would ever be involved in politics? No. Would it have ever occurred to me to get involved in politics? No. But when you start understanding that the mandate of the church is not just to sit in holy huddles talking about how we can keep ourselves free from sin, but the mandate of the church is to take the glorious authority of Jesus Christ and to step into every environment and say, Kingdom of God, come here today. You see, I figure God is up to something in every environment. I just need to find out what it is and get involved. And I often pray, this is my prayer, it's a very ordinary prayer. Jesus, I know you're going to be doing extraordinary things today, somewhere, through someone, at some point. Could I possibly get in on that? Could I possibly be involved in that? You see, because we're to seek first the kingdom and all its righteousness. So we're to baptize every environment with the love of the Father. What a commissioning. And that's where the authority starts to bring some kind of kingdom reality. When I turn up as the pastor in my work environment, or I turn up as the prophet in my work environment, when I turn up as the one who is a lover of God in my work environment, I become salt and light in the midst of often a very dark place. I'm not there to judge anyone. That's not my role. My there, I'm there to reveal the God who loves people. I'm there to expose them to the heart of God as a father. Amen. So we're to baptize communities and contexts in the Father's love. What a glorious invitation. We're also to baptize contexts in the reality of the Son's salvation. You see, if you are saved, there's a good chance anyone could get saved. We're shocked. And you're surprised. If you are saved, that means wherever you go, someone could get saved. And you're a witness. And a walk in revelation 
of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Once you were dead and now you've been made alive with Christ. Amen. So don't look at the faces. Don't listen to the words. Do not be put off by what they say. Greater is he who is in you than anything that's in any environment you stand in. No, now, church, we don't just want to clap here because that's all well and good. We want to go out there and see God turn up in all kinds of contexts. Amen. We want to be brilliant. In other words, we want the light of Jesus to shine in and through us, to illuminate people to the reality of who God truly is. So we get a commissioning from God, from Christ himself, who has won all authority over every environment you've ever been in or ever will be in. And he invites you to turn up in those environments in, with your ordinary life and your extraordinary God and call his kingdom to come, marinating people in the Father's love, baptizing them in the salvation story of Jesus Christ, and indeed saturating them in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, to be a true follower of Jesus is to become like he would be in any environment he was in. Now, as you read through the New Testament, you see that everywhere Jesus turned up, the kingdom turned up too. Yes? And you know, he had some very awkward contexts to work in, didn't he? It would seem to me that he had a clarity that what was carrying, was being carried in him was greater than what was going on around him. There's only one account in the Bible where it says that he could hardly do any miracles because the people were familiar with him. Yeah? So we know that there are some complexities about the kingdom coming whenever we are overly familiar to some people. They don't always see us in the truest light that we can be. How many of us have noticed that is true? I go home to my family and you know, people will say sometimes to me, oh, I love it when you preach. My wife will say, I thought you were too long. <laughs> no, that was a bit long. Um, you know, Emily will say, you weren't funny enough. <laughs> so I work really hard. So laugh at my jokes, because when I get in tonight, I know I'm going to be asked the question. Okay, just please, please, just join in. Join in. Not for me. <laughs> Sometimes when people know you, or they're familiar with you, or they have an understanding of where you've been and who you've been, they don't always take what's happened in you seriously. And the same is true of Jesus. They, they, is this not the carpenter's son? Are we not familiar with him and his humanity? You see, and there lies something for us to pay attention to, because if people have seen you kick off at work, and you turn up on Tuesday with a message from heaven, They will say, is this not the carpenter's son? Your humanity sometimes will become an obstacle to some people. But listen to me, please listen to me. Your humanity is only the vehicle for God's glory. It will always be frail, it will always be weak, and you will make mistakes. Hallelujah. Why? Because we're apprentices. We're learning. We're growing. I love it that God calls us his children. There are no teenagers in the kingdom of God. Hello, no attitude allowed. Yeah, we're just children. We're on an adventure with the Father. We're growing in love and joy and fullness and blessing. And we turn up in our context with all of our brokenness, with all our humanity. And sometimes there isn't a great evidence around us that the God inside of us is greater than the context we find ourselves in. But you keep going and you keep going and you keep going. Because let me tell you why. Here's, I, I, I've learned this. That if I pray for two people and one of them get healed, I'm going to pray for four people. If I pray for four people and two of them get healed, I'm going after eight. You see, sometimes when it doesn't, when everyone doesn't fall to their knees and worship the God that you love, okay, you step back. And the enemy has taken a moment and stolen a destiny from us in so many parts of our lives because we have shrunk back. We have forgotten that we have been commissioned and given authority to change environments. What happens is we become aware of our humanity. So here's what you do. If you want your truest identity to come forward, you keep moving forward in these realms. You know, 
I find that people are interested in Jesus. They're not that interested in church. And I find that most Christians I know don't invite people to know Jesus. They invite them to church. Might be a clue. Just have a think about it. You see, we have relied on people at the front to lead people into the kingdom. And the greatest boost to your spiritual journey would be that you lead your friend to Jesus. That you're sitting on a bus somewhere, talking to somebody, minding your own business, eventually you get into the subject of God, and God gives you a word of knowledge, and you lead that person into the arms of the God who has been waiting for them to run home. I tell you what, we won't be able to stop you worshipping next Sunday, because the kingdom turned up and you're going. You don't need to invite people to church to get them saved. The saved have been sent to the world to change the world. What is our thinking about? You see... If God, here I work this out. I'm a simple man. If I end up connecting with somebody, then it must be me that gets to talk to them. If God is the orchestrator of all things and the steps of the righteous are ordained of the Lord and I happen to be on a bus with somebody that looks a little bit weird and I get talking to them, it must be me. <laughs> it can't be you because you don't go on public transport. Yes? So if I'm there, it must be me. I don't think you're understanding what I'm saying. See, we're waiting for somebody to come, and you're the somebody you're waiting on. We're waiting to get them somewhere, and God got you somewhere, <laughs> so you could talk to them. You're the best person. God does nothing accidentally. This is not a coincidence. It's a God incident. Heaven can turn up in those moments. Now, you will feel a little bit overwhelmed. That's good. Because the gap between what needs to happen and what you think you got, God will always turn up and he always moves in the gaps. You see, we think we've got to be slick with this stuff. Do you know, I was much more an effectual evangelist before I went on evangelism school. I would just tell people about Jesus everywhere. I didn't know that wasn't okay. I'd be at the supermarket chanting, how you doing, Mavis? How's your day? How's it going? Oh, you look a bit tired, lovely. How's it? Oh, I am tired. Do you know, God gives rest to the weary, Mavis. Why are you bringing up God? Well, you see, I've got to tell you about him because he loves you to bits. Mavis, has anybody ever told you that God loves you? Well, no, they haven't. And they certainly haven't told me while I'm trying to put people through the checkout. Well, God works in unusual ways. And she responded to me, and through unusual people. <laughs> but she wasn't telling me a lie. I knew it. Nobody told me that you shouldn't do that that way. In fact, I think you should do that that way. I think sometimes we're trying to be so sophisticated, we miss the kingdom of God. You know, there was no music playing when Mavis gave her life to Jesus. God did it without a worship team. The audacity of him. There was no three, three things beginning with P and a conclusion and a hand in the air and a course to go on. <laughs> None of that was there. We just talked a little bit about Jesus. She came out, actually, she was on a break and she had a fag on and she was, I knew that I had till the end of it going. I knew at the end of it, it would be over. So I was trying to be quick, you know what I'm saying? I could see there was a clock ticking or a fag moving. I'm not sure what, what you think about that. But Mo Mo Moses, Mavis gave her heart to Jesus. Give a heart to Jesus. Now, I could choose to be a man of the word and not a man of the ways of God. And I could miss some of those things because I have decompartmentalized my understanding of God. I need to bring all those things under one clear head. That the God who is with me and is for me has a love for people that will leak out of my broken life in the most glorious way if I would just let it. And please, 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 you don't need to be sophisticated to share the gospel. You just need to be convinced enough that it's changed you. You'll have more than enough to say to the people around you. So let me just close with a couple of thoughts. I believe that we are on the precipice of God re-engaging us in some thinking around what we consider to be discipleship. To be an apprentice to Jesus is to be filled and fully immersed in his word. Amen. Amen. Now that's not just preaching. 
Okay, that's the Word of God to us personally. Has anybody ever had a scripture or a prophecy that come through the Word? Is there, have you ever had a, 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 a scripture given to you more than once? Come on, talk to me, church. You know, if it comes to you more than once, you need to pay attention to it. That is an inheritance word. Okay, that means you can live in that. You can live in that. And when God speaks to us in a prophetic sense, he invites us to dialogue. He doesn't invite us to put the prophetic word at the back of our Bible. Okay, and then wait for, you know, some glorious day when it just happens to us. Ta-da! Suddenly we're living in the fullness of the promise. No, we get to walk with him towards that promise. And as we walk with him towards that promise, he changes us. And he transforms our thinking. He engages us in his story. We need to think a little bit differently about some of these stuff. So if you're a person of the word, you've got this great gift to, to share the word of God. The living, vibrant, powerful, life-changing word of God. Don't keep it to yourself. And you don't have to wait until you get into a small group in the church to see its power at work. Do you know, I believe the teaching ministry is meant to be outside the church as much as it's meant to be inside the church. I think we need to start thinking about these things a little differently. What if all the fivefold ministries were not just about the church? They were a representation to the world of the God who is amongst the church. This week, God is going to give you invitation after invitation to allow this kingdom that he's placed in you to manifest around you. But we can't be casual. And we can't be occasional. Because that kind of thinking is the opposite to what we're invited to. We're invited to seek first the kingdom of God. So what that means is when I turn up in my workplace or I turn up in my family or I turn up in my broken community, my question is, God, where is your kingdom at work? Because the kingdom of God is always advancing. I need to come into partnership with what God is doing, not trying to get God to do what I'd like him to do. God is working in people you would never think. He is touching hearts and lives you would never dream would ever be interested in Jesus. God is working in communities in ways that we can't get our heads around. And he might use some people you wouldn't choose to bring life to a community. So we don't go with presumption. We go with curiosity. Where is your kingdom at work here? You see, I mentioned that story of Mavis. That's how that starts for me. And it starts for me with all kinds of people in all kinds of contexts. God, what are you doing here? Is there anyone here in this room? Is there anyone here at the checkout? Is there anyone here in the bus queue? Is there anyone here, God, where you're doing something in? And you know, you will be able to, if you grow in sensitivity, be able to discern what it is the Spirit is doing. Don't try and force the Spirit to do what you want to do. See, I've met lots of people who do that, and it feels really clumsy. You know, you're kind of superimposing on God what you want to happen. Well, you know, whether they're sick or not, I'm praying for the sick. <laughs> and the person standing there petrified. Seek the kingdom. What is God saying? What is God doing? Sometimes I find that, that whole thread of heaven in the most unlikely ways. You know, the lady Mavis I talked to you about, she began to tell me a little bit about her life and her, her relationship with her partner and how, and suddenly you kind of sense, okay, God, I know a little bit about you and I know a little bit about brokenness. So let's start asking some questions. Mavis, how do you feel about that? What do you mean how I feel about it? <laughs> devastated, mate. I'm devastated. Oh, she had a very deep voice. That sounds like a man, doesn't it? I'm devastated, mate. Devastated. What do you think? What do you think? And people get irritated, you know, sometimes when you touch a nerve. But I won't relent until I see the kingdom of God come. So you keep hovering around that thought with her. You know, perhaps you just need, how long has it been, Mavis? It's been 20 years and you still don't like him? Well, I don't know about you, but you're giving him space in your life he shouldn't have. How about letting go of that? Ah, you don't know he's hurt. I do know, I don't know what hurt feels like. How about this? How about you giving him a gift he doesn't deserve? And how about you letting yourself off his hook 
Because that's really what forgiveness is. Because I'm guaranteeing you, Mavis, he's moved on. He's not thinking about you, but you're talking about him. Okay? So let's do that prayer thing. Shall we forgive him? Go on then. And through what wasn't the glory cloud, but was another cloud. <laughs> Mavis forgave her ex-partner who had hurt her really badly. And the kingdom of God turns up. But if I'm not treasure hunting for that, I will be prescriptive. I will try and make something happen. This is natural, supernatural. It's supernaturally natural. It shouldn't be forced. It doesn't need to be forced. God is at work in your world. So let me read you this scripture because this is where I want to go on a Sunday night as we start to think together and dream together the glorious dreams of God for all kinds of people, all kinds of institutions, all kinds of communities. Let's dream his dreams, his glorious dreams for cities and nations. How about continents? Do you think God has a dream for a continent? I think he does. I think his dream for Africa is coming to pass. Do you know, it, I was reading somewhere the other day that in the year 2020, not 2020, 2040, there'll be so many billion Christians on the planet and quite a substantial number of them will be in China. I'm old enough to remember a time when we never thought that people from those parts of the world would ever experience Jesus. See, God has dreams for continents and countries, and people, and institutions. How about this? How about God raising up glorious medical minds that find cures to cancer, Alzheimer's? If God knows everything about everything, and we know something about nothing, perhaps we should seek his heart for that. What about God giving us strategy to release industry into parts of humanity where people don't have jobs? You see, there is no Brexit in heaven. Did you know that? Do you know that there's no recession in heaven either? Hello? There's no recession in heaven. And if God has plans to prosper and to bless us, and his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are much higher than ours, then let's do a little bit of leaning in and say, God, what would be the key that would unlock the destiny of a whole bunch of people in my community. And you might be surprised what the Spirit says to you. It might be, start a laundry. I heard this story, I'm gonna finish with this, and I'll read this over you. Suzette Hatting came to our church in Glasgow. Has anybody heard of Suzette? Now, it's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and Suzette. She is just powerful, a powerful prayer warrior and intercessor, was the intercessor of many of the Reinhardt Bonnke Crusades, led thousands of people in prayer. And so I'm in awe of her. You know, she turns up at our church and, you know, you know, you know that you're in awe of somebody when you repent of everything before their visit. So I just wanted to get everything right. And, you know, in the getting everything right, I think I got a lot of things wrong. <laughs> but she, she comes and she starts talking about something and she tells us this story. She says that she's sitting in her flat one night, and opposite her flat where she lives in Germany, there's a park. And over the years, because people haven't really done much about this, the park has become riddled with gangs who peddle drugs, and they have little secret kind of places where they collect. And so she's sitting in her flat, and she says to God, you know, well, I would love to make a difference here. You know, I stand on platforms, I see blind eyes open, all that kind of stuff, but actually this is my context. What shall I do? And God said to her, start baking. Now, I don't know if you were looking for a kingdom invitation, but you probably wouldn't suspect that would be it. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, I'm particularly someone of that stature who's used to ministering at a certain level. So she started baking these cakes and she baked two or three and she prayed and she said, God, just give me an opportunity to give these to the people that you want me to connect with. Very simple. Okay, the spirit led her to bake a cake. Hello? Yeah, not raise a dead person just yet. Okay, that may be next week, but this week she was baking a cake. And the cake sat on her counter 
for a couple of days. She had them all covered up and she, she'd made sure because God had invited to do it. They were quite inviting. And somebody knocks the door who has moved into the apartment uh, across the hall from her and they start to chat to her about being new to the city and so on and so forth. And she says, do you know what? I haven't got much time now. This is Suzette speaking. I need, I need to rush out somewhere, but you know, I have baked a cake for you. And so she gave the lady the cake. And over time, this whole thing about the cake ministry actually started to affect the whole of the, the building that she was in. She was known as the lady who bakes the cakes. Now, we know her as Suzette Hatting, woman of power for the hour. But the people in the building knew her as the woman who made cakes. They saw her as just this nice lady that wanted to be kind. So, so one night, because she baked all these cakes, she said to the people that liked her, why don't you come down and we'll have cake together? Let's have a Pentecostal cake meeting. And she prophesied and prayed over all the cakes and anointed them with sugar and icing sugar and frilly things and whatever. And she said, God, whoever eats these cakes tonight, let there be a moment of destiny. And so she, there's about 10 people in her house, you know, and they're sitting around and they're chatting about life and work and various things. And one of the ladies in the group, she said, you know, I'm really troubled by the fact that, that you can't walk in the park across the street. And uh, she said, yeah, that troubles me, Suzette said. I, I'm troubled by that. And she said, I wonder what it would be like if we brought them some cake. Yeah. Now, they had cake to eat that was not of this world. <laughs> okay, they had... <laughs> Sorry. If you know anything about drugs, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. So Suzette, in a moment of boldness or stupidity, you choose decided to go down to the park. And you know, there's no light, so they can't see where they're going. And they can see this like flicker in, in amongst some trees. And they turn up in this kind of den. <laughs> These three ladies with cake. <laughs> and guns get pulled out and all kinds of things are sworn at them and said to them. And they're just standing there. And all, all they say to these people is, we only came to bring you cake. So eventually it kind of dawns on these young men that they're not stealing drugs or anything like that. And, and they give them the cake. Now remember, this is Holy Spirit filled cake. Okay. I don't know if you've ever had a hash cookie, but this is a heavenly cookie. Okay. As soon as they took a bite of it, one guy started to say, oh, this reminds me of my nan. She used to bake cakes and this, you know, is that a red velvet cake? And she started talking about cakes and, you know, baking will reach the parts other things don't reach. There's a gospel in baking. Do you know that, don't you? There's a message in baking. So she says to this guy, you know, I don't know anything about you, young man, but you know, you seem like you're a little bit troubled. Would it be okay if I prayed for you? Now we've moved from kingdom cake. Okay, do we have food to eat that is not of this world? Okay. And so she prays for him and she just is moving in the power of the Holy Spirit and he starts crying. Now, if you've ever been involved in that kind of world, crying's not really top of the list of things to do amongst your peers. You know what I'm saying? So the guys start jeering and she says, be quiet in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Suddenly we've got church in the park. In the middle of a drug den, the kingdom comes. And over a number of months with the ministry of cake, they led about five or six of those young men into the kingdom of God. You see, no, don't clap. Don't clap. I'm not finished. Okay. What would have happened if Suzette had come straight down to the park and prophesied over the young men? She probably would be dead now. Yeah? Okay. You cannot be presumptive or prescriptive on how the Spirit wants to move. Amen? She took what she knew to be a word of God and she started to work with it. It turned into a connection and a community grew inside a block of flats. And you know how difficult that is in London and in any city. People liked each other, talked to each other, connected one another. They had a meeting where the Pentecostal cake was given out and not Suzette, a young lady said, in the meeting, I think it would be great if we just brought some cake over to some of these people. Surely they won't hurt us. We're women and frail. And four or five young men got saved. Why? Because when you seek first the kingdom 
you will find the kingdom in all kinds of places, in all kinds of people that you would never suspect would ever be interested in God. Jesus said over you, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be broken. Neither do people light a lamp and put it in a church building. Instead, they put it on a stand. They take that light to work. They take that light into their family. They take that light into their community. And it gives light to everyone in that context. In the same way, don't have false humility. Rise, shine in the authority that Christ has placed in you. Let your light shine before others. Not that you would be applauded. That's not the goal. But they may see your good deeds. They may see that God has turned up in the flesh, in a human form, and glorify your Father in heaven.